Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Andy Staples On 3 and... You know, since I got to On 3, I'm still in a bit of a trial period, I think. I I don't think I've gotten the full privileges of an On 3 employee because I've only been here half a year. Not even half a year, not even six months yet. I'm hoping maybe on January 1, I, I do get the full rights and privileges. But up to this point, I have not been given the keys to the recruiting prediction machine. I've not been able to put in a recruiting prediction and say, that's where this guy's going. Whether it's a high school guy or a guy in the portal. And I think, you know, it's a grave injustice. Pete Nakos can put predictions in. He put one in for Aiden Childs, the quarterback that's leaving Oregon State, that he's going to head to East Lansing and reunite with Jonathan Smith at Michigan State. I want to do that too. I want the keys to the RPM machine. I don't, RPM machine is kind of redundant. To the RPM, to the recruiting prediction machine. But so far, I have not been able to get those. I got to find out who can make me a copy. Maybe I I kidnap Pete, I take him to Home Depot, and we make a copy of the key to the machine. But right now, I'm going to give you some predictions for players in the transfer portal. And I think if I get, let's see, I'm going to give you five. So if I get all five right, I feel like I should be granted instant access to the recruiting prediction machine. I think if I get four or five right that I should get instant access. We will see. I will run this by the powers that be. But by all means, take notes here. See how I do. I have very high confidence in a few of these. I think it's going to excite some of you. Because there's some very interesting player movement going on. So let's talk about the transfer portal in general. Let's talk about what has happened on Thursday. The biggest name heading into the portal, Trevor Etienne, running back from Florida, younger brother of Travis Etienne, former Clemson star, current Jacksonville Jaguar. He is looking for a new home. We've also got quite a few guys that are looking around, taking visits that have been in the portal. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you five predictions here. We'll start with Trevor Etienne. Trevor Etienne was rumored to be leaving Florida as early as, as the beginning of the week. It was a, a, something that w- was being discussed, and you weren't sure if it was going to happen. Uh, it seemed like Florida was trying to keep Trevor, trying to keep Shamar James, the linebacker, who it looks like they are keeping, uh, trying to keep Eugene Wilson the third the receiver. Uh, You heard us talking to Graham Mertz yesterday. He mentioned Trey Wilson seemed to seem to be a guy who's in the fold. On Wednesday, Florida lost defensive end Prince Liam Mamney Ellen into the portal. And on Thursday, Trevor Etienne followed. So where is Trevor Etienne going to wind up? This is a very versatile back. 
go back to that Tennessee game this year. He's got a touchdown run that if you are at a school that he might be considering, you are very excited after watching that. This is a guy who's got incredible balance. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, very similar to his brother. And so I know what you're thinking. Andy, you're going to say he's going to Clemson. He's going to follow in Travis's footsteps. That is not what I'm going to say. It doesn't sound like that's on the horizon. Okay, he's from Louisiana, Andy. You're going to say he's going to LSU. No, no, not going to say that either. I predict that Trevor Etienne will be on the other side of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party in 2024. The game will still be in Jacksonville, but he will be wearing the silver britches of the Georgia Bulldogs. That is my prediction for Trevor Etienne. And let's think about it. You add him into a Georgia backfield that will be running behind what should presumably be good offensive line. Obviously, Georgia's going to have to replace some guys who are going to the NFL, but they've recruited very well at that position. It looks like Carson Beck is coming back. He still has a decision to make. Now, his decision is not a transfer portal one. It's a, do I go to the NFL? Do I come back to Georgia for one more year? So if he's back, Oscar Delp at tight end, you're older, you're better. Some of those young receivers developing. Trevor Etienne would have a lot of talent around him. And I would imagine that'd be, that'd be a pretty exciting prospect. So I think that is what's going to happen. Let us move along. Chase Basanti, offensive lineman for New Jersey, one of Jimbo Fisher's favorite players in that Texas A&M recruiting class of 2023. Came in, started in the SEC as a freshman. This is a very good player and the type of player that you don't see in the transfer portal very often. We talked about that with his Texas A&M teammate, Walter Nolan, when Walter Nolan officially entered the transfer portal on Wednesday. Chase Basanti, same boat. Good offensive lineman, has already played at a high level in college, has three years of eligibility remaining. So this is a, this is a premium, premium guy in the transfer portal. That's why we've got him ranked 10th in our transfer portal rankings. And later in the show, we will talk to Charles Power, the director of scouting and ranking for On3, about how these rankings get put together and how it differs from scouting these guys out of high school. So Chase Basanti, where might he wind up? He could wind up at a school that is going to have to play Texas A&M. He could wind up at LSU. That's where I think it, it goes. I think Chase Basanti goes to LSU where some very good offensive linemen at LSU, Will Campbell and Emory Jones heading into their junior seasons, those offensive tackles who started since their freshman year. No Jaden Daniels, but Garrett Nussmeyer seems to be the heir apparent at quarterback. They seem to have a pretty good idea of what they want to do, and obviously that offense is very explosive this year. We'll see if it stays that way with no Jaden Daniels and after – Malik Neighbors and, and Brian Thomas Jr. head off to the NFL. But if Chase Bassani is blocking, I would imagine that helps. Next prediction. I feel like Lane Kiffin's helping out with this one. Juice Wells is a receiver who went from James Madison to South Carolina. He probably would have had a lot more production in 2023 at South Carolina, except he, a foot injury kept him from, from playing very much. He's a dynamic receiver when he's healthy. The question is, where will he 
land after entering the transfer portal this week. I feel like Lane Kiffin has been tipping us off. A few days ago, Lane Kiffin tweeted a picture of a golf cart that has a lot of South Carolina logos on it. It might be Juice Wells golf cart. That might have been a visit from Lane Kiffin. And then on Thursday morning, Lane Kiffin tweeted some sweatshirts that say Juice on them. Apparently, they are available to order. Now, remember, Lane Kiffin's dog is named Juice, has its own Twitter feed, very popular, very popular canine, probably almost as popular as, as Kirk Herbstreet's dog. Actually, probably more popular than Kirk Herbstreet's dog. So I'm not exactly sure who these sweatshirts are representing, but they say Juice on them. So I am going to predict Juice Wells transfer from South Carolina to Ole Miss. Interestingly enough, I've had three SEC guys on this list so far, and I've had them all going to other SEC schools. And remember, if you would like to transfer between SEC schools, you got to do it in this transfer window if you want to play next season. If you wait till the spring, you have to sit out a year. So you're not going to see any SEC to SEC after this window. Now we'll go to a guy who's transferring from an ACC school, Riley Leonard, Duke quarterback. This is one of my favorite players in the portal. I think he's very good, elevates his team's level of play, makes it better than it would be with another quarterback and significantly better. I think if you saw the difference between Duke with a healthy Riley Leonard this year and Duke not with a healthy Riley Leonard this year. So where does he wind up? I think we're going to see a certain school do something very similar to what it did last year, where they went and got a veteran ACC quarterback with the hopes of juicing the pass game. That's right. Notre Dame went and got Sam Hartman from Wake Forest last year. I think Notre Dame goes and gets Riley Leonard from Duke this year. And we'll see what happens. Will that make Notre Dame's passing offense more dynamic? I don't, the reviews are kind of mixed on how things went with Sam Hartman this year. I think Sam did a pretty good job, but they were not a scary passing team. And I think with Riley Leonard, who can also beat you with his legs, there's a chance that Notre Dame's offense does maybe get a little more dynamic. So that's where I'm predicting Riley Leonard. One more, and it is the number one player in the transfer portal, according to on three, Walter Nolan, defensive tackle from Texas A&M. This guy really could go anywhere he wants. And, you know, just asking around, it doesn't seem like anybody has a definitive idea of where he's going to go. It, it, it's, it's somewhat easy, it feels like, to narrow down, but it doesn't feel easy to predict where he winds up. You know, he was in East Tennessee as a senior in high school. He looked very hard at Tennessee. Rodney Garner, the defensive line coach at Tennessee, excellent recruiter. Excellent developer of defensive line talent. So obviously the Vols feel like they're on the list. Nolan looked very seriously at Michigan. They have been excellent at producing defensive linemen, you know, putting guys in the NFL, but also really good players on the team right now. Chris Jenkins, uh, Kenneth Grant, who's only a sophomore. Some big things expected out of him in the next year. They could plug and play Walter Nolan and be really good. Alabama. It is the type of place where guys like Walter Nolan play. 
Same for Georgia. I can't imagine they would just say, nah, if Walter Nolan and his camp were to come along and say, we're kind of interested. What, what, what do we have here? What, what's the option here? I do think those would be two that Walter Nolan would look at and would consider seriously. So where does he go? This is the one. I, I feel very confident with the other four. That's why I said, if I get four or five, give me the keys to the recruiting prediction machine. This is the one I, I'm, I'm going to have to take a little leap of faith on. I think Walter Nolan will wind up a Michigan Wolverine. That would be a scary, scary interior defensive line. You put him and Kenneth Grant together, whew, not something you'd want to block. Not something you really could block with most offensive lines. There's, there's a few. Maybe if Chase Spasani winds up at LSU, maybe that offensive line would be okay with that. But there will not be many offensive lines that would be able to block those two guys playing together. So we shall see what happens. But I think it is a very interesting transfer portal season that gets more and more intriguing by the day. More people going in. We, we still we're getting to see some of the people find their destinations. But we're still on the people going inside more than we are the people coming outside. Before we get to our first guest, Charles Power, which is just a great name, we got to talk about a little high school recruiting because there was a commitment on Thursday that really was a surprise. And I think it helps us reframe our discussion about one of the more lightning rod coaches in college football. We've talked a lot about Deion Sanders in the last few weeks. Most of it has not been positive. You've got the panic decision to demote Sean Lewis and make Pat Shermer the play caller toward the end of the season. Now, obviously, it worked out fine for Sean Lewis. He's now the head coach at, at San Diego State. But that felt like a panic move where Deion realizes, okay, my offensive line's not very good. How do I change the offense? And he did the thing that, that probably helped it the least probably got Shador Sanders hit more by taking away the coach who runs the offense that helps mask a bad offensive line because it's about getting the ball and getting it out fast. He said at one point, if the linemen aren't good, we'll, we'll just go get other linemen. And our thought was, well, your recruiting class doesn't include a lot of really good linemen. So what's going on here? Well, that changes this week. On Thursday, Jordan Seaton, the number one offensive tackle prospect in the country. He's originally from the D.C. era. He is playing at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. He committed to Colorado. Going into the day, his choices, as we knew it, were Oregon or Tennessee or Ohio State. And he committed to Colorado, and then he's on Undisputed with Skip Bayless shortly after that. You know, when Deion Sanders made his we're not an ATM comments, when he talked about you're going to Colorado to get a degree and be developed, that usually is code for our collective doesn't have much money. But the one thing Colorado can offer that is a little bit different is a platform, is exposure 
And if there's a little bit of money in the NIL along with that, or if you're so good that that exposure is going to make you more NIL money in the long run, then there is a chance that Colorado can get some of those better players. But we hadn't seen Dion do this since he flipped Travis Hunter. This was, this was like flipping Travis Hunter to Jackson State, basically, because that was the it, it, Hunter was the number one recruit in the country. Seton, number one offensive lineman, number 12 in the on three rankings. This is a guy who can play right now, and this is a guy in a couple years who can be outstanding. Six foot six, 295 pounds, moves really well, looks like a grown ass man. And this is the type of player Colorado needed because this type of player is really not available in the transfer portal. To get a guy like this who can become a really dominant offensive lineman, you kind of do have to get him out of high school. And the fact of the matter is they don't go to schools like Colorado very often. They tend to go to Alabama. They tend to go to Georgia. They tend to go to Ohio State with Oregon and, and Tennessee's NIL efforts. Those are schools that are going to be able to get guys like that more often. You know, Oregon has shown with Josh Connerly that they can get a, a very highly touted offensive lineman and develop him. And he's going into his junior year next year, and he's going to be probably a top draft prospect. Colorado isn't in the mix for those. Most of the Big 12 schools, remember Colorado's a Big 12 school starting next year, most of them aren't in the mix for guys like that. So the fact that Dion got him is a really telling thing. And the whole orchestration of it, putting him on undisputed, having him say Shador Sanders is going to get sacked a lot less now, that's a good recruiting tool because it makes you wonder, does he have more of this in his back pocket? Are there guys who are committed to other schools currently that he may flip as we get closer to signing day? It's possible. If you can keep this a secret and then spring it on the world and make a big splash like this, it's entirely possible. And maybe they're using this to try to convince some other guys to join in, be they high school players or out of the portal. But my confidence in, in Dion's master plan had been waning quite a bit because, again, I was not sure how he was going to get offensive linemen and defensive linemen that are going to get them where they need to be in a league that next year is going to also include Utah and Arizona and TCU probably due for a bounce back. Baylor always has good players. Kansas State's always good. Oklahoma State is always good. It's not going to be easy in the new Big 12. But if they can get guys like Jordan Seaton, that changes the dynamics. You get a few more of those and you can be very competitive in the Big 12. Very, very competitive. So apologies to Deion Sanders for doubting you. I was, I was almost out, but now if you got a few more of these up your sleeve, might be right back in. When we come back, Charles Power, On3's Director of Scouting and Rankings, explains to us how the transfer portal guys get ranked, how that is different from evaluating them coming out of high school, and also we talk about where some of these guys' best fits are. Charles Power, he has the keys to the recruiting prediction machine. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And with good reason. We'll be right back. We are joined by Charles Power, the director of scouting and rankings, and also probably a secret agent with a name like that. What's up, Charles? What's going on, Andy? Busy, busy uh, couple weeks for sure. Seriously, because not only are we barreling toward National Signing Day with the high school players, you got to deal with the rankings of the guys in the transfer portal, and that changes by the hour by the day uh, mm. as we record this on thursday where it's been a few hours since trevor Etienne from florida entered the transfer portal and and i believe he entered at number seven in our rankings and uh number one now among the running backs and yeah you know, with with these guys you you are reevaluating them because there's like their scores are changing how do, how does that work for you in terms of like Trevor Etienne was a big-time recruit. He was a guy you evaluated quite a bit in high school. How does it change now that you have college tape on him? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the case of Trevor Etienne, it changes a lot because this guy's played two years, has significant carries uh, in the SEC. So, um, you know, you get to see a lot more from like an even playing field and projecting. There's not as much like projection going on once you get to see college tape and weigh production. Um, but – the transfer portal rankings are the epitome of a, of a moving target. Like this is like, like you said, is these guys are dropping in by the hour. Um, and you're really weighing, uh, different levels of college experience. Whereas like in, when we're doing high school recruiting rankings, the prospects are really all at the same point, uh, you know, in their high school career, the development, whereas in, in college, like we're comparing some true freshmen who haven't played, uh, against guys who might be a fifth year senior. So that's one of the hardest parts for me with this is uh, there's a little bit of an apples to oranges comparison. And I think that's a challenge for colleges as well. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think we see the programs that are able to navigate the portal the best really just have an, a strong evaluation apparatus for it. Um, but yeah, transfer portal rankings are a, a beast of their own. And I think everybody's trying to figure it out at the same time. Well, and Walter Nolan's our number one. When he enter, officially entered the portal on, on Wednesday, he shot to number one. How rare is a you know defensive tackle, you know, interior defensive lineman who has all the traits you want, who has played at a fairly high level already in college? How rare is that in the portal in the in the three, four years that we've seen the portal in existence? Yeah, I think it's pretty rare. And and I think it usually takes a circumstance like a coaching change for this to happen. Um, and, and I think when you look at Walter Nolan, this is a guy who was a top five prospect coming out of high school, five star plus prospect. Uh, he is a big defensive lineman who can line up inside and he played defensive end, can rush the passer. Uh, and I thought he made a really good progression from his uh, true freshman year to this year. And he's a guy who, like you, like you said, Andy, like you could plug him in on a playoff team and he could be the the keystone, like foundation piece 
for a playoff defensive line. So, yeah. and, and I think when you look at the portal, I think scarcity plays a big role in, in assessing these guys value. Cause there's just not many Walter Nolans in the portal. There's not many edge rushers in the portal and everybody wants offensive tackle. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's very interesting in that regard. Whereas you have at quarterback, the most valuable position, there's a bunch of quarterbacks. So uh, it, it's very interesting to kind of weigh the, the levels of scarcity at each position. For Nolan, you know, we know how his recruitment went originally. I'm just thinking about you know, the schools that we've talked about, who he already looked at. He looked at Michigan and Tennessee the first time around. Uh, obviously, this is one where I would expect Alabama and Georgia to be interested because he, like you said, he could go play there. And there aren't many people you can say that about. But I'm thinking, like, you could put him with Kenneth Grant next year at Michigan. And that is a terrifying prospect. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that's the fun in like us looking at this, Andy, just as college football fans, not only people that work in college football, like football media, like you think about these guys are plug and play. We're going to see them on the field next year, making an impact. Whereas in recruiting, you might have to wait a couple years. Um, this is like kind of instant gratification from a college football perspective. Like I'm thinking about if, if you look at like Pete Nakos is reporting on Dylan Gabriel and mm-hmm. Oregon. Like it's very easy to envision Dylan Gabriel in Oregon's offense next year. So that, I think it's I think it's fun, just from uh, kind of a roster building, football test case, like just fantasy scenario to see how these guys shake out in all the different different uh, spots. And uh, it seems like most teams now are are wading into the portal. Like we had teams that maybe might have been slower to it, but now it's everybody. So it's kind of uh, all hands on deck, open race for these guys. So our number two right now is Cam Warden. He's the number one ranked quarterback. Came from Washington State. Originally came from Incarnate Word. He was a, a guy who, as a high school player in Texas, I believe his his team ran the wing T or it was either wing T or triple option. It was one of those. And, you know, Eric Morris gets him at Incarnate Word. When Eric Morris gets the OC job at Washington State, Cam Ward follows. Now Cam Ward is, a, is coming out of his junior year. Everybody wants him. What is it about this guy from a physical standpoint that makes him so sought after? Yeah, I, I think I think Cam Ward is kind of an interesting scenario where he's a guy who's played a lot of football at varying levels, uh, was really good at Incarnate Word, uh, has played two years at Washington State. I think he's continued to get better. Like he really got off to a pretty hot start this year before kind of leveling out once they got in Pac-12 play, saw some better defenses, but – uh, I think he has a good combination of experience and developmental upside. Um, he was not a guy who was super polished coming out of high school, didn't have a bunch of, um, you know, pass attempts. And I think he's kind of on an upward trajectory. And I think when you're looking at the experienced quarterbacks, he's certainly one of the better ones. I mean, I, I'm high on Riley Leonard as well. Like I think Riley yeah. Leonard, um, when you look at just kind of what he did at Duke, the athletic upside, uh, and then just like the NFL draft upside as well. Um, I think if he goes to an offense that can kind of develop him just as a pure dropback passer, he might have the highest upside of all these quarterbacks, at least the guys that are kind of the upperclassmen. So um, it's just an interesting group in general. And I think that's one thing that's different with this portal cycle than last year is we've seen these experienced uh, blue chip type quarter quarterbacks, P five starters enter in kind of in mass 
mm-hmm. in addition to your high profile guys like a Dante Moore, Aiden Childs, Sam Levitt, kind of the true freshmen. So it is uh, if you if you're looking for a quarterback, the portal is a place to be right now for sure. Well, and you can pick what you want. Like you can pick a guy who has multiple years of eligibility left, or you can like, like if you have a 2025 player who's really good or, or a 2024 quarterback who you want to kind of have sit behind some, some veteran, you can rent that guy for a year. And yeah, you know, the Riley Leonard thing is a great example. And he's probably my favorite of the QBs in the portal as well, because I, I look at how many of these guys truly raise the level of their team's play. And I, I think, you know, you, we got a chance to see Duke with and without Riley Leonard this year. And it's a drastic difference. Yeah. And so that's why, it, you know, you see him and think, okay, if he lands at Notre Dame or he lands somewhere like that, he could make a difference pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, I, no doubt. And, and I think with, Riley, with Riley, Riley Leonard, and I think this is just kind of in general a lesson that I take from college football this year, is the ability to pick up yards with your legs, I think, has, has such a value. Um, you look at like what Jaden Daniels did at LSU. Once he kind of got settled in that, offense and had it down pat from a passing perspective it just opened up his whole game and what he could do with his legs improvisationally um just really stressed defenses i think riley leonard has that potential if he gets in a good situation in an offense that he's comfortable in um i think he could really do a lot of damage and i believe he he technically has two years left so i think when we look at these quarterbacks who have really gone supernova out of the portal Think about this year, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix. Mm-hmm. They they ran it back for year two. Had the had the off season to stay in, like learn the offense better, get their off season reps, uh, chemistry with the receivers. So I think to me the dream scenario for a team that gets Riley Leonard is you get him in, good first year. You say hey, you come back for one more year, and uh, you know you could maybe like push for the Heisman, maybe a, a top 10 draft pick. So uh, that to me has a lot of value when you're looking at these quarterbacks. Cause like, I think the one and done rentals uh, you can get by with that, but you know, maybe outside of like a Jalen hurts, there just hasn't been a ton of major success stories uh, relative to the guys who come back for the second year. So yeah, every, uh, everybody wants Russell Wilson, but that, doesn't yeah. happen very that well. was russell wilson was just a freakish story i mean he was really yeah. like the first guy oh yeah and well and, learned and the, the reason, offense in a month and the reason it happened is because and this is part nobody remembers mike glennon had also graduated at nc state so tom o'brien had to pick one of them and yeah. it wasn't a matter of russell wanted to leave tom o'brien had to choose one because one of them was leaving and mm-hmm. it, it wound up being the, the model for everybody else that they've been chasing, yeah. but you're right. Other than Jalen hurts. I can't think of one that's, that's been that successful. So mm-hmm. uh, one guy I wanted to ask you about is our number four in our rankings, Trey Moore. He's at UTSA edge rusher or he's leaving UTSA. This is the kind of guy it feels like, and we've seen it with, with Jared verse, but that was from a much lower level coming, going from Albany to Florida state, but the group of five, guy who blows up at very important position. Mm-hmm. How many schools want Trey Moore right now? Seems like a lot. Uh, and and I, I think when you look at the, this kind of ties into what we were talking about with Walter Nolan. I think when you look at the edges, there's just a scarcity there. Uh, and I think the fact that Trey Moore has been so productive, he's had 14 sacks this year, 
the advanced stats are good. He wins on a lot of his pass rush reps. Um, so I think like everybody wants a pass rusher. So I, I think that definitely adds into it. This guy is a guy who has been very productive. I think when you go back and look at him as a recruit, um, he's kind of fits the mold of a guy who had a great senior year, didn't do quite as much as a junior. So he was a little under the radar, a local guy as well. So when you look at, I think when you look at UTSA and the type of big hits they've had, they've been local types. Like Frank Harris is from right there. Um, a lot of their best players are kind of from that Metro San Antonio area. So um, yeah, I think, I, I think he fits that, fits that mold. And, and I think when you watch him play, he's just got a natural wherewithal as a pass rusher. So, um, you know, I, I don't think you can have enough pass rushers. That's, that's, those guys do not grow on trees. So I think when you're looking at ones who are officially in the portal right now, he's the top guy. I know like Princely, Princely Umami Ellens is announced. I don't think he's in officially. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Trey Moore definitely brings a lot off the edge. Well, and, and another one that the UTSA landed out of San Antonio, Marcus Davenport, edge rusher right. who became a first rounder for them. So, yep. uh, but the portal was not the same thing with Marcus that actually didn't exist yet when Marcus Davenport was playing. Mm-hmm. And I imagine he would have been the, the kind of guy who would have had a couple good years at UTSA and would have been off to Texas or Texas A&M. Speaking of guys going to Texas A&M, Colin Lacey, the receiver from South Alabama has committed to Texas A&M. He seems like one that, that the, the coaches and scouts are pretty excited about. Yeah. I mean, I think he has a case at the best G five receiver this, this past season. I think he had like 1300 plus yards, if you go back and watch Colin Lacey in high school, similar um, to, to Trey Moore, there's, there's, I think there's a good explanation for why he ended up at South Alabama. Also a local school, a guy from right around uh, Mobile, played running back in high school, very, very good run, high school running back. But I think when you're looking at running backs, uh, projecting to receiver, there's a little bit of degree of unknown there relative to ball skills, uh, route running. Well, Colin Lacey does all that at a really high level. You look at how he played this year uh, at South Alabama. He's got a ton of juice, can line up all over the formation. Uh, he's really good after the catch. And I think he has really good ball skills, like his ability to track the ball, um, make adjust adjustments, difficult catches. He's a guy who, you know, people who watch like group of five football, everyone knows who he is. But I think once like the national media starts to dig on, just, just how good of a player this guy was. Uh, I don't think there's much of a doubt he's going to make a, a an instant impact. Now, while I got you here, Charles, we do need to to transition a little bit to the high schools because okay. there was some news on Thursday that was really interesting, and I want you to explain how good Jordan Seaton is. This is the the offensive tackle, number one ranked offensive tackle prospect in the country out of high school. He committed to Colorado, and Clearly, this has been in the works for a while. He went on undisputed with Skip Bayless to yeah. talk about going to play for, for Coach Prime in Colorado. But what is Colorado getting in Jordan Seaton? I mean, I think he's a day one starter at Colorado. Um, and when you look at the offensive tackles in the 2024 cycle, I think he's pretty clearly the most ready to play. Uh, the guy with a really high floor. He's very technical. Uh, he's played a high level of football really dating back to his sophomore season in high school. Um, he's faced he, a lot he was of top in, pass he was rushers. DC, the D.C. area and then went to IMG mm-hmm. Academy in Florida, right. right? Yeah, he's playing really high level at St. John's in D.C., transferred to IMG uh, for his senior year. I saw him in person 
uh, here in Nashville playing in Lipscomb Academy, and he was fantastic. I, I think he's very balanced. He plays under control. Uh, he has a good pass set. He kind of has all the physical markers, like 34-plus inch arms, um, kind of a bull in the run game. He has a great grip strength. Once he, get, once he latches on defenders, he kind of does what he wants with them. Um, and, and just really good vision. Like, I think when you look at uh, – these top offensive tackles in high school, sometimes like they can miss a free runner, miss a blitzer. He like knows exactly what's going on. So he put, is playing at a really high level. Uh, and also he's kind of gone undergone a, a physical transformation. I think he was probably 350, 360, cut a ton of weight and he's moving really well. Um, so he's like probably around 295, 300 right now. So uh, I felt for a while that he's the most ready to play a guy who you could drop into the SEC or mm-hmm. any power five conference and be in a better position to play as a true freshman than the rest of the 2024 tackles. Um, so I think when you project him to Colorado, I would expect nothing less than to start the first game. How does he compare to say Caden Proctor, who was the number one offensive tackle recruit last year, who mm-hmm. is Alabama's starting left tackle now? I, I think he's more refined in pass pro than Caden Proctor. Uh, and, and I think we saw that this year. Caden Proctor is a great example. Um, you know, there probably were, I want to say, five to ten true freshman offensive tackles who played the majority of the season at power in power five. Like in yeah, at least I would say close to ten. And we saw a lot of those guys struggle. Now, Caden Proctor is a great example where kind of struggled in pass pro at the beginning, middle of the year, and really played his best game of the year in the SEC title game. Uh, I don't think he gave up maybe they didn't give up a pressure. I know we didn't give up a sack. So it is a really developmental position. Uh, you're grading those guys on a steep curve. To me, I think if you get on the field and in, in the power five as a true freshman, that's commendable in itself. Uh, but to play at a high level is another thing. But but I think Jordan Seaton, given how technical he is, you could drop him in there and, and I could see him playing fairly well. Uh, if he is kind of coached well, put in good positions, you know, offensive line, there's a lot of chemistry involved. Yep. But um yeah, I, I think he has the the technical skill set to to come in and play and, and, well, and maybe play well. And now to go back to the the transfer portal piece of our conversation, that's not a person you can find in the portal, right? That it it, it feels like there yeah. just aren't those kinds of offensive tackles ever in the portal. Yeah. Especially in like a multi-year capacity, right? So uh and I, I think too, like there's another true freshman all American offensive lineman in the portal, Chase Basantis, mm-hmm. who Remain kind in. of similar to Caden Proctor, was playing right tackle uh at Texas AM out of position. I think we 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 view him as more of an interior type. Um and you know, th- there are some, but I I do think it's fairly rare that you would have a a guy like that. Um you know, in the portal, because most like most schools who have these type of talents in the offensive line simply aren't going to let them enter the portal. Like there's just too much. There's too much value there. I think barring a coaching change, you're, you're unlikely to see it. So congratulations to the Buffaloes, because that's what you needed. You need yeah. guys and, who could block. Yeah, this one can. <laughs> so. and, and when Dion was saying he was going to find linemen, like I think we all thought he was going to go to the portal, not high school, but. Yeah. I think Seton is the guy who has the skill level or like the technical skill level of maybe a sophomore type. Uh, so he, I mean, 
he I think I expect him to come in and play. Yeah, and in the in the Big Twelve, which is not like Caden Proctor got thrown into the SEC, mm-hmm. the Big Twelve's not easy. There are going to be some monsters that he's got to play against, but I don't know that the learning curve is as steep as it was for for Proctor this year. Yeah. So that's, a, I mean that that is a huge get for Colorado. Charles, thank you so much, and uh, we will be in touch quite a bit over the next few weeks. Sounds good. That is Charles Power. Busy, busy guy right now because you've got everybody entering the portal. You've got National Signing Day coming up. A lot going on in the recruiting world. Also a lot going on for our next guest, Shade Dixon from the Bengal Tiger covers LSU. He's got to go to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Jaden Daniels is the runaway favorite to win. But also, there's a lot of stuff brewing in Baton Rouge Maybe coaching changes, maybe not. Roster changes, we'll see. It feels like with the portal, it's going to be more coming in than going out in terms of people who can contribute. Shea has an awful lot on his plate, but we will start with that big trophy that's being given out in New York on Saturday. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We welcome Shea Dixon from the Bengal Tiger. That is on Three's LSU site. Shea is headed to New York City to cover the Heisman Trophy. The last time he went, he got to see Joe Burrow win one. This time, Shea, it does seem like you're probably going to watch another guy on the team you cover holding the trophy. Yeah, I think Jaden Daniels is a shoe-in, if Vegas odds are correct. And uh, really, Andy, it was even before uh, the Pac-12 championship game, there was that feel that a lot of people, at least on social media and TV, were talking up Jaden as, hey, look, he's got the best stats, but will Bo Nix win it? When Bo Nix went out and they lost that game to Washington again, put the him at two losses, that makes no difference to me, or I think voters, to Jaden's three losses, even though they didn't play in an SEC championship game. He's clearly the best player in college football this year. I don't think anybody can debate it. And he joins a long law, or excuse me, a very short list of about five or six guys most, if not, I think only one of them didn't win a Heisman uh, that threw for 3,500 yards in a year and rushed for 1,000. So um, pretty unique company uh, he's joining with guys like Deshaun Watkins and Kyler Murray and uh, a lot of other quarterbacks here recently that uh, were very good at throwing the football and could also run it pretty well. I, I'm just so amazed because, I, you know, I watched his whole career at Arizona State. He started for three years and his freshman year was probably his best. That was when he had the most talent around him. But then when he transferred to LSU, you weren't even sure he's going to win the job, much less turn into what he turned into. When, at what point did you realize, okay, this guy has a chance to have a very special season? I think last year we saw towards the end of the year that he kind of had really put together a total package of he could run the football, he could throw it and protect it. But would he take that next step with the deep ball and going downfield? And look, we saw it at Arizona State his freshman season. He was going deep a ton at Arizona State. I think last year. Brandon Ayuk does that for you. uh, That's right. uh, Even Jaden has said this, though. 
And there was that sense in his mind when he got here that he's competing for the job and don't mess it up. So don't turn the ball over. So then he's, he doesn't know the receivers like he does now. He doesn't know, you know, the whole scheme and the offensive system like he does now. So it was playing just within that comfort level. He grew so much when he added that deep ball element where he felt comfortable about it. And then you've got Malik Neighbors leading the nation in receiving yards. You've got Brian Thomas leading the country in <clears throat> receiving touchdowns. And obviously Jaden leading the nation in total yards and rushing yards by a quarterback and pretty much every quarterback stat category. So remember, this was a guy in high school that twice was a 3,000-yard passer, 1,000-yard rusher. We shouldn't be surprised that we're sitting here seeing it now again here at the college level. And I think that's why he transferred to LSU after things kind of went south at Arizona State was I feel like I am that guy who came out as the number one dual threat quarterback in high school. In fact, ranked number one, number two, Bo Nix uh, at mm -hmm. the time. Yep. But Daniels kept that dual threat element to him and now has turned it into what's going to be a Heisman winning moment. And, and it is amazing because you you got Baker Mayfield transfer who won the Heisman, Kyler Murray transfer who won the Heisman, Joe Burrow, Caleb Williams. And now like this year, there are going to be three quarterbacks in New York, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., all transfers. Yeah, think about it. And the year that Burrow won, Hertz was standing there next to him yeah. as a transfer who had obviously had an unbelievable season. So uh, there's a reason right now while you uh, refresh whatever your social media or YouTube <laughs> or podcast is that everybody's talking about transfer quarterbacks because boy, oh boy, have they not struck gold here in recent years with uh, almost every guy beyond what? A Bryce Young maybe and, and Tua before him uh, being homegrown. Yeah, it, it is. It's interesting because it you've got to kind of plant the quarterback in the right soil, and sometimes they're not in the right soil to start with. Sometimes it takes, you know, Jaden Daniels going from Tempe to Baton Rouge or Michael Penix Jr. going from Bloomington to, to Seattle. And uh, it, it is pretty amazing. You know, let, let's talk about the transfer portal as it relates to LSU because it feels like what's going out is what you usually see in the transfer portal. That'd be guys who – you know, haven't played as much as they would like, or they've had some injury issues and things just haven't worked out for them. Uh, I've not seen any surprises from LSU. Any Anybody who it seems like they'd be relying upon next year. No, and that's the spot you want to be in. Uh, and I think in year three now, Brian Kelly has built this roster up from 38 guys when he took over to now having to balance of where you're at with that 85-man scholarship limit. They went really heavy on high school signees. They've got more than 25 of them set to sign in December. I think they'll end up in that 25 to 30 range with guys they add. Then they want to add fewer than 10 players in the portal. That's such a stark difference from where they were in those first two years. So now you've got that balance on roster that takes us back to, like I said before, the, I've said this so many times on my podcast, people don't forget natural attrition is a thing before the transfer portal. 10 guys left a school every right. year. You can't You're just going to McNeese guys. instead of, instead of yeah, being able to so go to another SEC school. Right. It's no different now than it was then, except you can transfer to it. You don't have to ask permission to go to an SEC school and you don't have to sit out if you've never transferred. So yes, you'd expect those numbers to go up, but if you're in a, like a program like LSU, verge of winning back-to-back -back 10 win seasons, you've rebuilt the roster. Now you're finally in a spot where you're not hemorrhaging players that you say left and right, man, we needed that guy. It's, hey, these are guys looking for playing time, whether it's early in their career, back end of their career, whatever it might be, they feel buried on the depth chart. And that's natural. That's fine. That's what the portal in large part should be for. So uh, LSU fans, fingers crossed, 
I think they can get through these 30 days without looking up and saying, hey, we lost guys that we were relying on. And the other piece of that, you said, to, you know, bring in fewer than 10. How many of those are DBs that will, will come in from the portal? LSU fans want me to say all 10 of them, right? Uh, <laughs> I, look, they took four transfer corners last year. And by what, the two months into the season, none of the four were playing anymore. Yeah. When they played Alabama, um, two of them injured and two of them in Denver Harris and Deuce Chestnut were suspended. And Brian Kelly's talked about that. He said, we're going to be so much more pointed in who we take, the position we take, how good we feel about them making an impact on our team because they had room before to just swing for the fences. They were taken above 15 transfers in both the years that Brian, Kelly's had, Brian Kelly had been here. Now it's very clear, let's go after a corner or two. I think a safety is going to be a big need for them. I think they get one or two safeties. D-line is one where I could see them adding one or two. But other than that, it would just be filling little position you know, holes where you say, hey, maybe let's add another receiver because we're losing Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas or um, you know, whatever it might be to where you have depth, but you just want to add a little bit more high-end talent to the room. And then there's one that everyone will always ask, which I do think LSU, or I should say I, I know LSU will explore, is quarterback. Because, yes, Garrett Nussmeyer is their quarterback, but do you go into a next season where your backup quarterback is Ricky Collins, a true freshman right now who's played in one game ever and thrown right. two passes? So. I think an or, insurance quarterback is something that they'd be interested in. Yeah, or a reclassifying Colin Hur Hurley, who should be in high school. Yeah, he's only 16, and he'll be showing up to campus in about a month. The hair is spectacular, though. It's, it, it, it's, it's uh, even better than before. It's as big as you can imagine, and it's got a, a lot of colors to it. So, uh, look, he's a magnetic personality, and uh, that'll be the third quarterback on roster when he gets here in January with Jane Daniels on his way out. and. We'll see where LSU goes uh, if they do go portal hunting for a quarterback and, uh, and end up taking one. That does seem like a good spot for a veteran who you know, maybe is coming from a smaller school, wants to play at a big-time school, but isn't necessarily hell-bent on being the starter. Or, or promised a job, which LSU is not yeah. going to be able to do to anyone. Yeah. You know, uh, Even Jaden Daniels didn't come into a situation like that. He won the job. Um, but uh, nobody's going to get promised a job when Garrett Nussmeyer has waited his turn and is – uh, certainly talented enough to be the to be the quarterback at LSU. So I'm curious to see how it unfolds. One more, and I'm sure your subscribers keep refreshing on the message board and refreshing the homepage of the Bengal Tiger. The defensive coordinator position, obviously the defense was not up to their standards this year. Uh, we have seen Brian Kelly make changes at that position before, either because he's had to because the person was really good and got a head coaching job, or because in, in the case of Brian Van Gorder at Notre Dame, was very bad. So what happens with, with Matt House? Here's what I've told LSU fans, and I think is the way to view it, that look at Brian Kelly's track record over the past decade plus, which is at Notre Dame and Cincinnati. He brought Diaco over from Cincinnati. He wins the Broyles Award as the defensive coordinator. Then he, look, he's got guys like Clark Lee, Mike Elko, uh, Marcus Freeman, all DCs he hired who are head coaches now in the SEC and at Notre Dame. I mean, these are highly regarded defensive minds. The miss was Brian Van Gorder, obviously. He fired Van Brian Van Gorder in year three, and he talked about it this week, actually, with the media. He said, look, three games into that season, I fired my defensive coordinator, and he stood in my wedding with me. So I know how tough these decisions are. But at this point in my career, remember, he's been coaching 30-plus years. He's got a D2 national championship. What he's chasing is a national championship at the FBS level. 
LSU is his final stop. He came to the SEC for this opportunity. You're expanding to 12 teams. He knows it's sort of that now or never. So I've told LSU fans, look, his hit rate's great. And when it missed, he fired someone. It was in year three. It was a few games into it. I don't know what that means for Matt House because he's after year two now where in year one where you had even fewer pieces to work with, they actually were one of the middle of the road defenses in the SEC and nationally. It was just this year falling off a cliff when, boy, did we never think it in the Les Miles days. You've got the best offense in America. Nobody can stop you. You can go to Ole Miss and put up 600 yards and score 49 points and still lose a football game. That can't happen. So Brian Kelly gets paid a lot of money to make this decision. A lot of LSU fans have an eye on it. Uh, my view would just be, hey, look, a very good hit rate for a guy who's been a head coach 30-plus years. I'd trust that he knows more than we do about the situation and what's ongoing in that building and whatever he decides to do is ultimately one uh, decision that LSU fans will have to just feel confident in and stand behind. So after signing day is what you're saying. All right, we got it. That's right. That's, right. <laughs> that, that's a long way of saying it. It, it may happen after signing day. Now, I, I don't know that. I don't know anything. I just usually when the, when the coaches string it out, that, that's, that tends to be when things happen. So, We'll see what happens with you guys. And, but, oh, go and ahead. I will note too, and Notre Dame people have talked about this. Brian Kelly's had a track record assistant wise of guys find other jobs. And yes. then you hear that news. You don't hear someone got fired. So maybe it's a wait and see, not just with Matt House, but the defensive staff as a whole. Yep. I guess we will find out. Stay tuned to the Bengal Tiger and Shea Dixon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That is Shay Dixon from the Bengal Tiger on Three's LSU site. Next up, we're going to talk to Derek Young from K-State Online, which is on Three's Kansas State site. The message board at K-State Online was ablaze on Wednesday when Colin Klein, their offensive coordinator and former Kansas State quarterback, decided he was going to leave and go to Texas A&M. Things calmed down a bit on Thursday. Now, we recorded this interview with Derek a little bit before this video was released by Kansas State. But as you'll see, it's very, very important. Avery Johnson is the freshman quarterback at Kansas State who is still there. Will Howard is in the portal. Jake Rubley is in the portal. So Avery Johnson releases a video saying that he's changing numbers from five to two. Jake Rubley had two, who's a year older, but now he's in the portal, so two's available. So Avery Johnson in this video revealing that he is now number two, but I think the subtext is more important, revealing that he's still playing for Kansas State, he still intends to play for Kansas State, and listen, if I'm planning on watching the Pop-Tarts Bowl, which is Kansas State against NC State, I'm pretty excited about seeing the first game of what appears to be the beginning of the Avery Johnson era. For me, it's never been just a number. It's a mentality. An attitude. It's a tradition. And although my number changed, our mission hasn't. Let's talk to Derek about Colin Klein's move 
what Texas A&M fans can expect from Colin Klein, and what K-State does next. Joined now by Derek Young of K-State Online. A lot going on in the Little Apple. Colin Klein has left as OC. He is now Texas A&M's new OC under Mike Elko. And they are on the lookout for an offensive coordinator at Kansas State, but also in retention mode, trying to hold on to five-star quarterback Avery Johnson, who was a freshman this year. Will Howard's already in the portal. Derek, what, what has to happen to make sure that you know the biggest recruit they've landed in years, the biggest in-state recruit they've landed in years, winds up having a career at K-State beyond his freshman year? Yeah, the way, and people are melting down because Colin Klein – you know, he's the Kansas State hero that, that's leaving. And it's not a great time of the year to not have an offensive coordinator because the portal is open, your guys can enter, and it's hard to recruit it if you don't have the right guy in the right spot. So <laughs> it's something that has to happen pretty quickly, and they probably have to have a hire that Johnson wants to play for as well. So you got to yeah. keep that in mind because even losing Colin Klein, I will consider it – still a success if you hang on to Avery Johnson because it's tough to hang on your coordinator if he's being poached by Texas A&M. Well, and Colin Klein was a very marketable guy. He, he Notre Dame wanted him last year. Uh, it sounds like Penn State was, was looking at him this year, and obviously Texas A&M comes along. So at a certain point, it was going to be hard for, for Kansas State to keep him. Yeah, I mean – Teams were going to keep coming. There's there was chatter about Alabama last year too, before they hired Tommy Reese. So you thought maybe you're out of the woods because man, if we can hold off Notre Dame, Penn State, what's another school on that level? But I'm sure he's focused on advancing his career. He wants to be a head coach, mm-hmm. and apparently he felt like he needed to leave Kansas State to do that. What I will say is, what's interesting to think about in that aspect. Is I don't think he had to leave Kansas State to be the next Kansas State head coach. So it makes you wonder if something else is at play. That is very interesting. So for, for the Texas A&M fans watching, what should they expect from Colin Klein's offense? Yeah, I mean, we'll put it this way. His first year as a play caller offense coordinator at Kansas State, they won the Big 12 championship, and he had a top two or top three offense in the Big 12. The second year, everyone has questions what he can do without Deuce Vaughn even without Adrian Martinez to an extent, even though Will Howard took over the job without Malik Knowles at wide receiver. And all he did was number one in the big 12 in points per drive in yardage rate. So (laughs) only two years of a sample size, but it's about the best two years you can ask of a power five offensive coordinator. And I mean, his star is rising. I mean, everyone just raves from the high school level, to the college level, I've even seen some professional people commenting on it that they think he's one of the brightest offensive minds in all of college football. Well, and he was a he was a great quarterback back in the day, and one of those guys that it felt like was was in command at all times. So uh, it'll be interesting to see him in in Aggieland. But now we, we move on to to Manhattan, where Will Howard decided to enter the transfer portal. Now it sounds like he's still trying to make an NFL decision as well, but he's not coming back to Kansas State, and. That felt like it, I, I talked to the guys at Sooner Scoop the other day about the the Dylan Gabriel situation where he's leaving Oklahoma and Jackson mm-hmm. Arnold obviously is going to be the starter now. He was a five star freshman this year. This feels very similar where you mm-hmm. kind of have to make that choice between Will Howard and Avery Johnson. Yeah, and it wasn't 
another year of both of them wasn't going to be tenable. It just wasn't going to work. You couldn't pull that off. You basically had to pick one, and they picked the right one. Now they have to hold on to them as they go on this next month with, or hopefully not a month long, without an offensive coordinator. But, uh, no, they made the right call. Will Howard probably made the right call because even if he wanted to stay, did he want to look over his shoulder another year? I'm sure he didn't. And everything that I hear, look, everyone knows he has a lot of interest. And maybe he gets blown away and takes one of those college opportunities. But I think he's leaning towards the NFL. Yeah, and he's definitely done about all he could do at the college level. I mean, he's led his team to a Big 12 title. Or, you know, maybe maybe if he were to go to a national title contender that that has an opening, like, I mean, I guess there's one in Columbus, Ohio. But uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens to Will Howard. But Avery Johnson is an interesting one to me because he is – I would am I being – Am I exaggerating when I say he's the biggest in-state recruit they've ever signed? Yeah, yeah. Now, I've only covered the team since 2017. I say only. That's actually six years. I'm surprised they've been here that long. But I, there's nothing in that time period. There's nothing that I can think of. Darren Sproles, now he wasn't didn't have the ranking, but obviously right. a guy that but it turned that into had, that, that yeah. little player, yeah. yeah. So that that's someone that would jump Terrence Newman, th- those types that went to the NFL and then long careers. Those are some of the best ones that they've landed. But from a prestigious recruit, uh, the meaningfulness at the premier position in football, um, it doesn't get bigger than Avery Johnson. They're going to have to try and hold on, try like heck to hold on to him. It sounds like they they feel like they're going to. Um, it's easy to say that when it could change in two hours. They got to rate, they got to make the right offense coordinator higher at the same time to solidify that. Um, so it'll be interesting, but you got to think about it from Avery Johnson's lens too, right? You see, there's a lot of pretty good quarterbacks in the portal right now to where I think the supply might be a little bit more than the demand, which I th- think is interesting or at least mm-hmm. similar. And you're talking about when I was looking at Dante Moore and they came in the same class yep. about the same ranking. And if he goes, you know, Michigan's mentioned with Dante Moore mm-hmm. on another spot where he's not guaranteed a starter. So, yeah. Get Avery Johnson could have his pick at the litter probably, but well, and it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, like Dante Moore, from what we've been told, is okay with maybe not starting next year. It, like if he if he were to go to Michigan and JJ McCarthy were to not go to the NFL, that maybe isn't the end of the world for Dante Moore. Like that the, they wouldn't mind the year of development. It feels like with Avery Johnson, he's ready to play now, and he, he had that to- taste of it in the middle of this season. Yeah, he wants to play now. And looks there's probably not in the in the world of NIL, and I know Michigan is a school that can do it. Is there a ton of schools that can pay two guys like that? I don't mm-hmm. know. So that's something to consider, yeah. I would say too. Well, and that's the, I'm I'm sure there there are some schools that would be interested in Avery Johnson, but I imagine that he may want to stay where he is, be with the players he came in with, you know. It, it is home for him. That's that's, you know, unlike with a lot of these quarterbacks who go across the country, he did stay home. Yeah. And I think the best business decision for him would be to at least do this one year. And if mm-hmm. it doesn't unfold the way he likes, then, you know, you can make the option at that point. But you only get one of these technically. Um, so you got to make sure you you do it right. And, yeah, I mean, you get to play at home and you get to play with the guys that you came in with and, and sure clear his path to certain playing time. Yeah. Well, and the other thing about it is, so he's a 
rising sophomore, you know, you're Chris Kleiman. You've done a lot in this sport. You've won national titles at the FCS level. You're, you're a very experienced head coach. I, You don't ask the 19-year-old the what to do, but I do feel like you got to make sure the 19-year-old's okay with what you're doing. I, you know, how much it, input might not be the right word, but influence will Avery get on the OC search? Will they be doing it wrong if it was zero? So that's what I would say. Because maybe you don't allow him to make the decision. I mean, I don't think I, even I would. But if you don't make sure that he approves, you're probably in a problematic spot. And we go back to when I said he has the clearest path. What happens if he's not approving and you do that and you do make that decision? You don't even have a quarterback coming back next year that's on scholarship right now. Yeah, and this is, you know, you, you got a Pop-Tarts Bowl coming up and – the, the thought it was it was going to be Avery Johnson's show before Colin Klein left. Now, it you know, it feels like that's in flux, but he's the only scholarship QB on the roster now, right? Absolutely. The others already entered the transfer portal. The non-scholarship quarterback may not be available because he went from a scholarship player in Minnesota to a walk-on at K-State, so he even needs a waiver to play. So the, the bowl game is certainly in flux. Now, with that being said, you know, for those listening that, that – obviously follow Kansas state and kind of ride and ride or die with them. I, nothing that I have heard suggests that he is leaning towards leaving, mm -hmm. but obviously the wrong offensive coordinator hire could be problematic, but I think they should have some comfort and some confidence that he wants to stay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. He's got such an incredibly different skill set than most people you've seen. I, that's what you and I text quite a bit about when when he's when it looked like he was going to play a little more. Very excited to see. He's a guy I've been wanting to see a lot more of. So I am hoping that when I tune into that game, it will not just be to watch the players eat the mascot at the end. That it will be the Avery Johnson show, and we get to see exactly what a full game of him looks like against a pretty good defense. An interesting angle to consider, too. The bowl game's on December 28th. He could play it and still enter the portal, which is weird to think about as well. <laughs> something to always keep in mind. But I will say this. I, I will judge, grade, and evaluate Kansas State's offseason at this point, probably not necessarily by the offensive coordinator they hire, but their mm -hmm. ability to hang on to Avery Johnson. It's Listen, it's the most important position in all of sports, and they've got yeah. a very intriguing one. So, yeah, let's see if they can hang on. Derek, Avery, thank you so much. And I was going to say, and Avery Johnson at his best can make an average offense coordinator look great. That's exactly right. So, for that, yeah, for those of let's, you let's, we, we didn't we gloss this over. The hair is spectacular, one. But, two, this guy is so fast, but he can throw. There, you know, I, I go back to the – so, he, he scores five rushing touchdowns against Texas Tech. The following week when they were – you know, moving him and Will Howard back and forth. There's a throw that Johnson makes along the left sideline. And I'm like, how does somebody who runs like that make that throw? Right. And you wonder if he's the guy, how often are you going to see that? Yeah, no, it, it's fun. Um, that's why there's some, you know, people throw out Lamar Jackson stuff when it comes to him because of the combination of speed, athleticism, wiggle, arm strength, and how he can really flip it. And look, I don't know who's going to be the next Kansas State offensive coordinator, but a guy mentioned, he hasn't called plays yet, is Willie Korn, 
mm-hmm. uh, from Liberty was at Coastal Carolina. Now, that offense seems pretty tailored to Avery Johnson. Yes, the triple option is your play action, basically. But it is a it is a high if you're if you're the right quarterback, it's a very you become a very high efficient high efficiency passer, and it's not like the the traditional option offense where you're you're throwing nine times a game and only on third and long. Like that, if you look at Grayson McCall's numbers when he played at Coast or when when he was at Coastal and Jamie Chadwell was still there, he was a ruthlessly efficient quarterback. And then Caden Salter this year. Same thing. So uh, that would be very interesting if that that offense found its way to Manhattan. Yeah, I, and sounds like it's him, Connor Riley. Those are two of the candidates being mentioned. Well, let's let's wait and see. That's going to be very very fun to watch. Derek, thank you so much. Thank you. That is Derek Young. A lot going on in Manhattan, Kansas. Also, a lot going on in Gainesville, Florida. We opened the show talking about Trevor Etienne entering the transfer portal. It's an exodus from Florida. The question is, what are the Gators going to bring in? Because the season ended on a bad note, five and seven. What happens next as some pretty good players have entered the transfer portal? We're joined by Nick Delatore of Gators Online. We welcome Nick Delatore of Gators Online. And Nick, it's, it's been a day. At the University of Florida, Trevor Etienne, running back, brother of Travis, sophomore, member of Billy Napier's initial recruiting class at Florida, is in the portal. And you sent out a tweet after that came out that was rather eye-opening. And it's something that I, I even as I'd watched the Florida players go into the portal, mm-hmm. I don't think I realized that half of Billy Napier's first recruiting class at Florida is now in the transfer portal. Yeah, a lot of uh, fans, uh, mixed reviews on that one, Andy. A lot of fans uh, pointing out to me um, that that happens a lot with bump classes uh, Mm -hmm. and a lot of fans using that as just uh, more kerosene to throw on the fire that that they've already uh, lit on the program. Um, To me, it's it's when you look at that list, okay, 50% is 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 eye-opening. It's pretty shocking. when I look at it, like Kamari Wilson was a five-star. He was the jewel right. of the class. Chris McClellan was playing a ton. Trevor Etienne and Caleb Douglas were starters. Outside of that, you're not losing a ton. I think it's really just the number. And and what Florida is doing right now, or failing to do, I think, is winning the battle of perception. Yeah. And the perception is you're 11-14, and 14, and look at all these guys who bought in initially – jumping off the Titanic, you know, as they see an iceberg coming at them. Well, and and the thing I keep coming back to is what the party line from Florida has been throughout all this is just Mm -hmm. wait until Billy Napier gets his guys in. Something like that blasts a little bit of a hole in that line of thinking. Yeah, and and the issue that I find is – Florida was young in 2023. That's you can't spin that any other way. They were. It is a valid excuse, albeit an excuse. I don't think Florida fans are going to care to hear that they're young in 2024. Mm-hmm. And if you have this kind of attrition and this kind of, and it's happening everywhere, guys going into the transfer portal. But if you're losing your guys that are supposed to be your juniors now, your first class are supposed to be juniors, and well, shoot, we're going to be young again. Uh, I don't know that fans are ready to hear that or will accept that as an excuse in 2024. 
Well, and the other the other part of it, I think that that frustrates people is you look at, at you know Brian Kelly hired the same year, won the SEC West his first year. They weren't as good this year, but they're going to have a guy win the Heisman. So it's it, it is a, a there are these things that just continually frustrate this fan base. But I just I, what can Florida do at this point? I saw that Eugene Wilson the third, Trey Wilson, who is their star freshman receiver. Uh, retweeted a graphic about who earned all freshman honors and said, just, he said, just getting started in the swamp. So that is his way of saying, I think, Hey, I ain't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, my goodness, I, I, I might've hit the beat writer transfer portal uh, this week. If, 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 if Trey Wilson uh, would have tweeted something about like, does someone know where compliance is on, on campus instead of, um, you know, just getting started. I got I got to give him a little something. Yeah. 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 It, it, there is a young nucleus. Uh, I think the 2023 class had a bunch of guys, Kelby Collins, TJ Searcy, Jordan Castell. Nobody played more snaps on defense than Jordan Castell and just as a freshman safety. There is a young nucleus, um, and, and those guys will be young on paper, but a lot of them have played a bunch of snaps. So it, it'll be interesting to me to see. Florida, I think, really needs to hit the portal hard. We're seeing – Guys already land at places, and, and Florida hasn't even hosted anybody yet. So yeah. we saw them work slowly last year in the portal and thought, okay, well, you've gotten some good guys, but Florida's going to need some veterans, specifically on the offensive and defensive lines, um, to help them immediately in 24. Well, and that's the interesting thing, too, because one thing Billy Napier's always said is hey, this process takes time. He, <laughs> he has advertised that his evaluation process – is not the fastest. That's fine in a world in which these transfer rules don't exist, which was the world four years ago, but it's not the world now. And it feels like they, they're going to have to speed that up. And you're right. I, I did a segment at the beginning of the show where I predicted where people might go. I had four guys leaving SEC schools. I had three of them. I was predicting to other SEC schools. Florida's not one of them mm. and not in the mix for any of them. And, and the big one is, uh, we talked about it on, on Monday on UNJD's live show, Florida needs offensive line help, yeah. specifically offensive tackle. And, and you're getting a couple guys, um, some guys from A&M go in, and I, there just needs to be more urgency. Like Florida's process is, I think, always going to, or Billy Napier's process is always going to make that spring portal kind of a wash because everything is um, you know crammed in and, and, and super fast uh, in the spring. I just don't see the urgency and, and maybe it's just the way that Florida works. Maybe when Florida talks to these guys in the transfer portal, they're saying, please don't report your offers. We had a crazy booster in Miami who uh, kept throwing more money at everyone that we offered. And um, Hey, don't report your, your visits. Cause we want to keep that quiet. But I, I think it would behoove Florida to maybe move less quietly in the transfer portal. Um, and maybe some of these fans would put their pitchforks down. Well, and Jordan Seaton was a guy that DJ Lagway, who's the quarterback who's mm -hmm. committed to sign with Florida in a couple of weeks. He was trying to work hard on Jordan Seaton, who's the number one offensive line prospect in the country. That's the sort of thing, the, the sort of player that Florida is now going after and, yeah. and getting some traction with some of these guys. That's one thing Billy Napier's brought that, that wasn't there before him, but Jordan Seaton's off to Colorado. And Florida wasn't in the list of finalists or the list of semifinalists. 
Yeah, I think Florida gave it a run, um, got an official visit. Uh, I don't think we hadn't even really written about Jordan Seaton. I know fans kept asking about him, but I don't think Florida was, um, what do they say in politics, Andy? Like, and also ran. I don't even think right. Jordan Seaton, I don't think Florida's really an also ran there. And I don't know how much a freshman would, would play, um, but that's the kind of guy, you know, when I, when I talk about, the battles that Florida needs to win. That's LJ McCray. That's a guy mm-hmm. that Georgia really wanted. And, and you got him a guy like Jordan Seaton, even if you have to take some lumps in his freshman year, that's a guy that probably starts three years and, and gets drafted in the first round. Um, and we look at the transfer portal, you know, you and I both said it's dollar general for offensive linemen. Uh, it's not Neiman Marcus. Um, Chase Basanti is a, a guy who can start in the sec. We know that we saw that at Texas mm-hmm. A&M, but I, uh, I'm, I told, I don't have the keys to the, the RPM yet. I don't get to do that quite yet, mm-hmm. but I, I think I said, I think he's going to LSU. So mm-hmm. not Florida, but that's the type of person in the portal. If such a person pops in the yeah. portal, you gotta, you gotta jump on. Now, the other thing you were mentioning with the, the this portal versus the spring portal, the other part of this is you can't take an SEC player out of the spring portal mm-hmm. because of the way the SEC rules work. You got to take somebody who was in this portal window. So that's if you want to take someone who is from the SEC, otherwise you got to take somebody from another league. And I think that does increase the sense of urgency now. Yeah. And I think that's something that the SEC should change. I think they don't want to, um, you know, be carn- carnivorous towards each other. Oh, they, they- they're not going to change it. They thought about mm-hmm. it. You know why they don't change it? Because it calms everything down. Because a lot of these guys don't want to go play in another league. So mm-hmm. once this order, this window ends, they don't leave. And, you know, as long as ever, you can't be accused of colluding if everybody else has different rules than you. So, you know, <laughs> they're, they're sitting back going, hey, we get to chill out in the spring. You guys are all fighting for your players. That's true. That's true. There's there's definitely never colluding or tampering um, going on oh, with with the transfer portal. Um, of course not. Um, it, it's it's interesting though. I, I just don't I don't know where Florida is going to get um, momentum for this for this transfer portal cycle. Um, I thought getting Graham Mertz back would be big. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you look at the quarterback hot board and those dominoes are starting to fall, but Florida can point to a guy who only has a year left or, or maybe only has two years left. Hey, we have a really good quarterback coming back. Um, Here are some of the young pieces we have coming back. We're one or two guys away. We need you, Joe Smith to come in and and you can be that one piece. And um, that can be compelling. Um, I, I just don't know what the sense of urgency is, or if maybe I'm being naive to expect Anything different than what I saw last year. And I will say this about Graham Mertz, not just because he came on the show yesterday, but we talked to Charles Power earlier today, and he made a great point. Those transfer portal QBs that have multiple years that wind up starting for two years at the new Mm -hmm. school, that second year tends to be pretty awesome. So I think, you know, if you are Graham Mertz, that's something you're probably trying to get across to people who are candidates to come join you from the portal if you're billy napier that's something you would try to get across to those people but but i'm with you i don't i don't know where the momentum comes from now either because the schedule's brutal and the talent level looks like it's going to remain flat or be less Mm. 
Yeah, there's a bunch of skill position guys that you can go after. Um, but again, if, if Graham Mertz is running <laughs> running for his life, um, I, I don't know how much those skill position guys help you. I think it'll be interesting to see what these quarterback dominoes do because I, I don't know that Florida's schedule is as hard as it looks on paper. A lot of name brands there, yeah. but a lot of those You're name brands me. are – scouting. A, a, lot of, a lot of those name brands have lost their quarterbacks, but now, I mean, you know uh, – you could you could have uh, Chase McCord starting at Miami instead of Tyler Van Dyke. Yeah. Um, you know, so Florida. Uh, I saw a list that JD put out on on Wednesday, and I thought, man, all of the all of the quarterbacks are going to schools that Florida will play next year. JD had Riley Leonard going to Miami. I don't I don't see that one. I mm. I see one of the one of the air raid guys. I Cam mm. Ward. I said needs to go to an air raid program, so he needs to go to USC, Miami, or Wisconsin. Like. So that again, this is why they don't give me the keys to the RPM. <laughs> Cause I'm like, he needs to go to one of these three instead of be like, he's going here. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the, uh, the 33% going here. Yeah. Uh, Andy staple special. Well, it is going to be a, a very interesting time in Gainesville because uh, this is, it's interesting the, the fan base and the message boards mm-hmm. have been negative for much of the year. This is as negative as I seen them. And like you said, they got to find some momentum somewhere. So good luck to the Gators on that front. Nick Delatore, thank you so much. Thanks, Andy. Thank you to Nick Delatore and Derek Young and Shea Dixon and Charles Power. Big newsy day. And I think it's going to be that way for a while in college football as the transfer portal continues to bubble and percolate may slow down next week in terms of people going in, but I think we're going to get a lot more destinations revealed as we go. Hopefully, my predictions from the top of the show, we'll see how accurate I am, but I I think I'm getting access to that RPM. I think there's a chance. Probably going to be a bunch of news over the weekend. We will be back on Sunday night to break it all down. We will talk to you then. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.